welcome to uh, Common Sense with Bishop and my first guest ever from uh, one of the great cities in the world, uh, London, England, is uh, Paul Naughton, who is a pastor, he's a politician, he's a philosopher, he's a great father and a great husband. Paul, it's great to have you with us today. You, sir. Thank you, Bishop. It's a joy. Um, you know what? This is where I would love to start, Paul. You really can't tell somebody's life unless you know where they come from. Right. And how you come to this, these ideas I'm about to unlock that I think is going to stun our audience because they're, it's revelation. Tell me a little bit about Paul Naughton growing up in London. Uh, well, London was uh, at least the, the part where I grew up. I grew up in a ghetto, and uh, I was one of, I think, I, I counted 102 boys in the neighborhood that I lived, and uh, 100 of us had criminal records. Me and one other guy didn't, because I could run fast and I could talk my <laughs> And uh, that was that was London. It was uh, the population was probably about three million people. It's now officially it's now about nine and a half. Unofficially, it's probably more like thirteen million. And, right. Uh, very different place growing up. So, an average day in the life of Paul Naughton growing up, so that we can get a little context of your life, would be what. Ah, uh, well, I, I, if I was working, then I was hardworking. Uh, if I was unemployed, I'd be sort of, you know, up at about 11 a.m. out with my friends or whatever, just doing what we could do, taking what we could take and, uh, <laughs> you know, living the kind of uh, low-life existence. Um, but uh, I, I had a major spiritual encounter with the Lord at the age of 18, which really transformed my life. Right. Uh, literally from top to bottom. Um, I became a law-abiding citizen, which a lot of my friends couldn't believe. Um, uh, when I lived where I, I went to Ireland after I got saved, and uh, a lot of my friends thought I'd been on the run for four years. They couldn't believe that I'd gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and, you know, moving in the gifts, reading the Bible and playing worship and uh, engaging in a, a completely alternative lifestyle. It was just transformational change that took my life. And that really molded me. That was at the age of 18. And so, really, I've been on that path ever since. Let me ask you this, Paul, because a lot of people, they look at their past, and you had some very traumatic things happen to you growing up, even in your family. Yeah. Um, just shortly share about that because we live in a world of abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Growing up, what was it like for you? Well, I had a very violent father and a, uh, an existence where, wow. I mean, we were, we were poor. I mean, poverty was my best friend. Uh, I remember that, uh, you know, we, we used to, we, we never had an inside toilet in our house. We had like an outhouse in London in the 1970s. We never wow. had it like central heating. 
We had a little oil fire that we had to kind of fire up whenever things got really cold. And um, I remember one time my mum bringing our laundry down to the laundromat and some of it fell off the, uh, the pram that she used to use to wheel the stuff down and we just left it in the road. It was just too embarrassing to even pick it up. It was that just rags. And, uh, yeah, poverty was, was a, a major part of my life. Also violence. My father was a very violent man. He would, he would you know, he was like a hair trigger kind of guy, uh, which was very, very difficult to live around. I had a lot of uh, emotional wounds, a lot of insecurity. Um, I've still got marks on my body where various things happened. And oh. uh, that, uh, that rough, rough. So our, our whole concept here is uh, the common sense that I believe God gives us all to live a victorious life. Your wife travels the world, of course, talking about healing of the heart, yes. healing for life. Yeah. Um, so how is it that you didn't get stuck? Uh, how is it that you have a great family? You had an incredibly dysfunctional family. You have a very prosperous family. You had a very poor family growing up. Uh, there's this incredible transition. And yes, I, I know at 18, you have a great epiphany and an awakening. Yeah with 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 uh the acceptance of jesus christ but how is it that you didn't get stuck um i think I, I i wanted when i started to read the bible and when i started to read the promises of god things that the lord had said that he sent jesus to die for we we all know you see where, where are we doctrinally we all know that christ died on the cross to save us but a lot of us know that he also died on the cross for our sicknesses and our diseases right wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities the chastisement necessary for us to obtain peace was laid upon him by his stripes we are healed that happened at the cross um the third thing that christ died for that a lot of people still even today have issue with um is the whole area of christ dying for our poverty and the Bible makes it very clear. It says, although he was rich, yet for our sake he was made poor, so that we through his poverty might be made rich, right? Right. Poor. He was the only time in his entire existence that he was poor, in the, in the abject poverty kind of sense that comes from the use of that word, was at the cross. And also then fourthly, the fourth thing that Christ died for on the cross was our ambassadorship. So he took my worthlessness and he bore that on the cross as well. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And then it says, and we are ambassadors for Christ's sake, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world, not counting their trespasses uh, against them. And he has made us ambassadors with this word of reconciliation. So I'm not only saved, I'm healed. I'm not only saved and healed, but I'm prosperous. I'm not only saved, healed and prosperous, but I'm an ambassador. And I saw those promises in the Bible for what they were. And I put my faith to work the way that a carpenter would put his tools to work to create a particular piece of furniture or anything like that. The way that a builder would put, you know, materials together to make a house. 
I decided that I would build my life on the promises of God and anything that didn't line up with those promises was going to be out. Wow. Okay, help me with this, Paul. A healthy philosophy about life. A healthy philosophy about world events. You might be the most balanced man, one of the most balanced men I've ever met about your view of the church, your view of marriage, your view of fatherhood, your view, your, your world view. I see so many people that are even Christians and their, their worldview or their view of things is so skewed. How do you stay in balance? How, how does that common sense, when I sit with you, I feel like I can be anything, I can say anything, I can really be who I am, mm. and uh, that I'd be accepted, I would be loved, if need be, I would be challenged. Mm. How, did you, how do you come up? How can we tell people to come up with that common sense where what you believe works? Ah, uh, wow. Well, that's that's quite a question. I think, I think my balance comes from three things. Uh, number one, experience. Obviously, I've got a lot of mileage behind me, and I think that really helps. Uh, you have too, Bishop. You've been in ministry since you could right. blow it. Um, so experience is is really really important. Um, the the second thing is, I think, uh, an understanding of the Word of God. The Bible says, call them your sister, call understanding your close friend. I actually do mm. that every day. Um, you are my sister, understanding you're my close, intimate friend. Right? I like that. I like that. Every day. And the third thing um, comes from reality. Uh, one of the things that I've found in the body of growing up in Christ, a lot of Christians had a real problem with reality. That's so good. That's perfect. Let me give an example of today. Now, there's a lot of talk about the whole 5G network in relation to this coronavirus and it's right. 5G signals, blah, 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 right? Well, I mean, that's such nonsense. But yet so many people in the body of Christ are gullible enough to believe it. You see, look, look, at, the, look, at, look at what reality says. Reality says that the uh, Republic of Iran has barely got 3G, never mind 5G, and yet it's one of the worst hit in the world with this virus, right? South Korea, there's 5G everywhere, and they're one of the least hit in terms of the number of people that actually suffered and the kind of, you know, the cure that went wow. around. So that, that blows that kind of argument out of the water straight away. But yet, you know, there, there, there's too much almost leaning towards, oh, we love a good conspiracy theory. You know, <laughs> we love to mistrust. If it's got government anything written on it, then there's an element of mistrust, you know. Right. And, and we really have to uh, understand reality and discern by the Holy Spirit. If something, if something sounds 
uh, a bit unreal, then I, I usually do a bit more digging. And so, for instance, that's the research I found on the 3G versus 5G thing with Iran and Korea. You see, I mean, Iran, they, they, they could blow a hole in, 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 in any <laughs> with, with the kind of telephone masks they've got. You, you see it from house to house with wires stretching everywhere and everything like right. that. Signals are down like 50% of the time. And yet, you know, they're one of the biggest sufferers. So it's obviously nothing to do with 5G, but we all love the 5G story because it's like, hey, have you seen this? <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it's almost like, it's, it's a form of pornography almost. It's you know, beautiful. Seen this, you know, and, and we, we, we love a bit of that. And we need to really grow up uh, a, a good bit on that, you know? Okay, I was going. I was wondering, Paul, how long we were going to go without talking about coronavirus. Okay, so now, so so now it's out of the bag. We're going to have to talk about it. Yeah, very interesting. You, your wife, and daughter all had the coronavirus. Same time, yes. Tell us your experience. Uh, well, Wait, we, first off, how old are you? Uh, fifty-three. Fifty-three. Yeah, think about that. That's a good sign. <laughs> so you're 53 your wife's relatively the same age you have a daughter that's brilliant abby who's how old is abby 17 17 yeah yeah okay you all have the coronavirus can i have your experience yeah, with about, this yeah about three um weeks ago we'd finished the conference at harvest and i was feeling very tired i'd said to my wife i said wow you know, I think this conference has taken a lot more out of me than I realized. You know, the uh -huh. way you're organizing a conference, your heart, your soul, your resources, everything is in it, you know? And uh, particularly then with the threat of this virus coming, were they going to forbid people from meeting together? Was it going to happen? Wasn't it going to happen? And literally at the final window, we managed to, uh, to run the thing successfully. And the, the following day, the Monday, uh, I said to my wife, I said, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go to bed early. I, I've really sort of felt kind of whacked out as a result of this. So I went to bed that Monday night. And uh, Tuesday morning when I woke up, my bed was like a swimming pool. I mean, oh. sweated that night out. It was like real. And my temperature was really shaky. I was, I was feeling like, you know, hot and cold, all kinds of things like that. And then um, the, the cough that they talk about started to develop on the Tuesday. So that's the following day uh, in the evening. My temperature again was spiking. I was off my food, lost my sense of smell. It was like really awful. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it felt like I'd been beaten up. Now I grew up in a really rough neighborhood. I <laughs> you know what that's like. What it feels like to get beaten up. <laughs> So literally, it was the particularly on the on the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I felt like I'd walked up a mountain as well as got beaten up. Uh, the um, I read somewhere afterwards about the um, because I'd got pains all down my legs, I could, pains in my back. I could feel all my vertebrae. Uh, I felt like I was wearing like a forty-pound rucksack as well as uh, just you know just really awful symptoms 
and uh, apparently there's uh, part of the, the virus that attacks the iron processing system in your body and so you can feel pains down your legs your back etc etc and i got all of those kind of classic symptoms as well you know my eyes felt so heavy and uh, i could hardly stand up i'd move around the house maybe just go like five or ten steps or so and uh, just really lacking energy and the first time that i actually stood up for longer than 10 minutes was for praise and worship on the Sunday morning because uh, some guys were doing it. Our youth were doing right. it at the auditorium that Sunday, and uh, we were watching from home on YouTube. And uh, I stood up for praise and worship for about 25, 30 minutes, and that was the first time that I felt strength return to my body in about six or seven days. Okay. And now, you see, this virus attacks men a lot worse than women. So 75% of the fatalities have been male. And um, so Joe's symptoms were less than mine, but it took her slightly longer to recover. Abby just had a sore throat and a bit of a cough. <laughs> the beauty of youth. The beauty of youth. Yeah, completely. And that's... that's um, so it's classic with what we're seeing across the world uh, with this particular virus. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's, if you are a 70 year old male or over, it's a, a pretty difficult time for you right now, especially if you've been in an industry like concrete polishing or uh, anything with a lot of dust. If you've been a plasterer or, you know, worked in a wood factory or with paints and all those kind of things because that kind of thing can take a wear and tear on your lungs right this virus um attacks uh, a lot of people's lungs if particularly with the whole cough thing you know so tell me so in a week you were over it yes all right how much common sense how much do you believe fear is a part of this whole recovery? And, um, you know, that scripture, that what you fear most will come upon you. How, how much do you think fear is a part of this whole coronavirus thing? Massive. Absolutely massive. Uh, the, particularly the way that it's been stoked, you know, the, the mainstream media, they need to sell uh, papers, they need to sell news, they need to sell advertising slots, and they always say, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And uh, <laughs> the, scary, the scary kind of nature of how they've been pitching the, the virus. You know, anytime I've noticed any time in the UK that they want people to stay at home because people are flouting the regulations, they'll put up another story of somebody who who tragically died with the virus that doesn't fit the sort of 70 year old male paradigm but then when you read further on uh, into the story if you actually click on the story and you do some of the groundwork and you, right. you up the death certs or whatever online you actually realize that they died with the thing rather than of the thing and in other words they had heart issues and they had the virus, the they died from the heart issue, not from the coronavirus. Actually, now, uh, what some people are saying online, I'm yet to verify this, I don't know if it's true, but it's, it's certainly believable from what I've seen so far, is that if you, for instance, God forbid, if somebody was in a car wreck 
and they were taken to hospital and they were tested for coronavirus and they were shown to have the actual uh, the, the actual virus and then they died of their injuries as a result of the car wreck then chances are that would go down as a covid-19 death right but there's, there's there's this awful mix of the fact that there's definitely something going on this virus is most certainly real uh, to a very very small proportion of the population it's it's deadly um it has a massive recovery rate unless you are over 60 smoker, uh, all that kind of thing you know you, you you don't generally look after your body um then that's when the the statistics absolutely rocket but of course then people aren't going to listen to and abide by the rules if it's only 70 year old men who are dying of the the, the virus so there's this the the way that they are kind of like trying to fine-tune and nuance the news uh to me sometimes borders on deception let me ask you this in in your church you got a great church there in london harvest church you have about 50 cases correct but these 50 cases are among a people of faith instead of a people of fear. Correct. How, how are you seeing them recover? Well, God, God told us, this is one of the amazing things, Bishop, that, that the Lord told us uh, in uh, last year, around about the Jewish New Year, every year, I start seeking God for word for the following year. Because the Jewish New Year is around September, October time. Right. I start seeking God. And the Lord told me, he said 20, quite, quite specifically, he said 2020. He said, you're going to hear a lot about 2020 vision and blah, 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 and this and that, the other's going to happen. It's all about vision and seeing clearly and everything like that. He said, he said, I want you to disregard everything concerning that. Right. He said, the deception, the enemy is going to try and deceive people and set them up as a, as a result of, of his antics. He said, this year for you guys is going to be a year of pressing. You're going to need to press into my promises, press into my word, press into the, the, what you know is yours. Right. And by the Holy Writ. And as a result, so we were prepared. When I announced um, that 2020 would be a year of pressing, everyone was like, oh, no, what's this? Can we not get a better word than that? <laughs> But thank God, you see, and this is this is where hearing God in advance is just so, so important. Right. Um, the Lord told me a few years ago, he said, I want you to turn your auditorium into a TV studio. And then two years ago, we set about uh, creating a system where people could give online. And most of people's giving then started through banking apps, through PayPal, right. through, uh, things like Super Chat on, on YouTube, etc. And as a result, our offerings have uh, not gone down at all during this thing because we're broadcasting online. The, um, today, Sunday, we had something like 215 uh, viewers live, and that will translate to probably about 600 by tomorrow. And uh, we, we've, not, we've not suffered anything. We've got a cell network. We, we were real strong believers in creating cell groups to reach people into ministry and to take much, much better care 
of our people of our sheep. And as a result, the cell leaders are in touch with their people. Everyone knows what's going on. If somebody needs a bit of assistance here or a bit of prayer there, etc., then um, you know that, that we are very much locked in to what's going on. And as a result, nobody has suffered. If anyone is stricken with the virus, we automatically put them on our prayer team list mm. and we are in touch. In fact, there's only one out of the 50 there has only been one who needed oxygen in hospital for 24 hours. And uh, that, thankfully she was released after that. But also you see in the three or four years leading up to this virus, God was speaking to us through every guest speaker, including yourself, talking about looking after your body, fitness, right. lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. For about two and a half years, everyone was on this thing. And uh, in fact, we called it the Gumnazo year because of Gumnazo, the whole thing of like the gymnasium, looking after your body, treating it well, uh, and and not sort of treating it like a, a, a trash can. You know, right. that says, uh, Paul the Apostle says, he says, I buffet my body. And one of the problems we've got in the body of Christ is that the word buffet and buffet are spelt the same way. And uh, people have a, big issue <laughs> and that needs to come to an end you know this okay. is holy we've got to treat it as such let me ask you this paul because the our podcast is kind of like setting the record straight mm -hmm. okay before you were a pastor you were a banker yes sir you love keeping abreast of economics in the world yeah you <clears throat> you have your hand in it it's no, it's no uh, surprise to me that economically, physically, your church is very strong. Um, I've watched you talk with some of my friends who are multimillionaires, and y'all talk about global economy. I have heard people talk with the greatest depressive forecast about how many years it's going to take us to recover. Hmm. Now, from somebody that understands the economic world, common yeah. sense, what do you say to that? Uh, well, there's, there's two things, really. Firstly, one of the things I always look for is a flaw in the S&P 500. You know, the Standard & Poor's 500 index of leading stocks in America. Now, once... Once things start to like turn into a kind of smile where it's hit a bottom and then there's this general consensus uh, for a few days that looks like there's a flaw to the situation. That's one of the things I look for. I think, I think that we have found some sort of flaw in the actual stock prices. Um, I've been buying stocks over the last few days as a result of seeing that flaw in the S&P. Uh, it's an adventurous thing to do. It's a risky thing to do, but then the greatest rewards are usually with the greatest risk. risk. Right. Um, we must remember, you see, with, all, with everything that's going on, <clears throat> we must remember firstly that the stock market, the equity markets and the bond market are effectively a six to nine month forecasting mechanism of what's going to happen. Aha. Uh -huh. 
the question to ask yourself when when the s p hits a kind of floor like this the question to ask yourself is well what are they seeing six to nine months out are they seeing a recovery um you're wearing a nike top with the the glorious england uh, yes insignia there the england <laughs> and uh, I was actually going to wear mine, and I thought I wouldn't be posh enough, so I had to put on the shirt. But anyway, <laughs> um, on the other side of your shirt is the Nike swoosh. Right. Now, are people saying that the, they believe that the economy is going to swing up like that Nike swoosh? Will it, the, the, the talk is, will it be a V-shaped recovery? Will it be an L-shaped recovery where we just go flat on our back for a while? Or will it be a Nike swoosh? I, I think... From what I've seen, I think that the Nike swoosh is actually more likely of a pattern of recovery in the economy. And the reason that I think that is that if you put all of the uh, injections, the money injections, the monetary injections, the drop in interest rates to virtually zero, right. board, and the amount of uh, what they call fiscal stimulus, that stimulus that the government puts in, checks in the mail, $1,500 checks, uh, in the mail across across the US, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you take all of that uh, liquidity or all of that money together, they have created an economy the size of Japan. Wow! Now, that <laughs> is a humongous exercise in pumping concrete under the foundations of the economy. Basically, that's what they're wow. doing. Them like concrete. You heard that first on Common Sense with the Bishop. Okay, I, that was great. Thank you. So, so that's, that's, what they've, uh, that's what they've done in the financial markets, in, in the, uh, any market that needs capital injections. The Fed, uh, the Bank of England, the Central Bank of Canada, Kuroda uh, uh, in Japan, they have all said the same thing, that whatever is necessary, to get us through this thing, we will inject it now and we'll look at the damage later. And people are saying now, you know, well, what about the amount of debt that that will create? You know, we're going to be paying that off in the next like 10, 15, 20 years. That to me, um, it's not a concern yet, but the longer they leave the economy locked down, the more of a concern it becomes. Right. And this, they have to balance, this is the real risk. They have to balance the uh, economic damage with the amount of lives they will eventually save by these lockdowns. And that's not an easy calculation to make. No. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. Um, common sense. You, I, I heard you one time on national television in Israel. It might have been the most brilliant response from Christians to the Jewish nation I had ever heard in my life. Uh, it was the way you articulated your, yourself. Uh, you know, I, I, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to tease the people. Could you give me just the five minute headlines of why you think it's important, why it's common sense, for us to bless Israel and understand their place in the world? I know five minutes is limiting, but could, could you do that? Yeah, absolutely. 
uh, or I'll try my best to God's glory. Um, number one, we have to understand where we are in relation to the end times. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean that we all buy trib food and hide in a cave and, you know, learn all kinds of survival tactics. I don't mean that. I mean that where we are in relation to the nation of Israel. Jesus said, learn from the fig tree. When it puts forth its leaves, we know the time and the season for figs is there. And the fig tree has always been an allegory of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel in scripture. Now, right. one of my favorite scriptures, I've got my Bible here, and one of my favorite scriptures uh, concerning this issue is from Ezekiel chapter 28. It's just after the Lord has judged the king of Tyre, i.e. Satan, if you, if you, uh, and those of you who know your Bible very well, he starts talking about the king of Tyre being in Eden. You were in Eden, the garden right. of God, etc., etc. It's clear that he's calling the devil the king of Tyre because he's judging the devil. And then it goes on right at the end of that passage of scripture. And uh, let, let me read it out because it, it's really important for this question. Okay. Uh, and there will be no more for the Israel, a prickling briar or a painful thorn from any around about them who scorn them, then they will know that I am the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, when I gather, this is verse 25 of Ezekiel 20, when I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and shall manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they will live in their land which I gave to my servant Jacob. Uh-huh. You will live in its security. They will build houses, plant vineyards, and live in it securely when I execute judgments upon all who scorn them round about them. Now, look at all the nations who scorn Israel round about them. Every single one is suffering the indignation of God. You've got Syria, you've got Lebanon, you've got Egypt, you've got Iraq, uh, Iran. You know, all of these nations, any nation that mocks the nation of Israel now, automatically comes under the judgment of God. Wow. And so when we understand that in relation to geopolitics, it makes you realize that God is watching over his promises. In 2016, September, this was three months before uh, President Trump was elected, um, the Lord spoke to me and he said, once again, he said, I'm making my people Israel a Sibboleth nation. Now, those of you who know your Bible, there was a time in the book of Judges where Israel was suffering a civil war and uh, people crossing a certain river were asked to say the word Sibboleth to see which side they were on. If they said Shibboleth, they were finished. If they said Sibboleth, they were with Israel and they were allowed to cross, etc. Or the other way around, can't quite remember. But the... the the point is this, that because of what God told me, that Israel would once again be a Sibboleth nation. In other words, if you're on the right side with Israel, I'm going to bless you. If you're on the wrong side of Israel, then really watch out. I've got no time for you. Uh, then that, that to me was a turning point in my relationship with the nation of Israel. Six months later, I was invited by the government of Israel on right. that used TV news. And um, we made a vow then that the tithe of the tithes from our ministry 
would go to the nation of Israel in the form of Israeli government bonds. And so that was a vow that we made. Now, when we were fighting this virus from our altar, that was one of the promises that I recalled to the Lord. I said, Lord, we are blessing your nation. We are with your people. Wow. We are standing in on the right side of history. And that, to me, that puts us on a different standing altogether. Well, let, let me ask you this, and, and I, I know the questions might be getting a little tougher. Um, God is not prejudiced against any nation. Right. Uh, he's made it clear what he feels about Israel. Mm -hmm. You have a wonderful uh, community of Iranians in your church. Yes, sir, yeah. That worship. Um, for people that say it's politically incorrect uh, to say God chooses one nation over another, you would say what? Um, I would say read your Bible. <laughs> it's 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 all over from yes. from, from Genesis to to Revelation. I mean, to the maps, you know. It, well, see, that's that's what the, that's what this podcast is about is common sense. Um, you know, people ask me what my opinion is on things, and I said, well, I really don't have an opinion other than the fact of what the Word of God says, yeah. which has withstood a test of time for, I mean, the Jews carried it for thousands of years before we picked up and and put the front uh, the back end on it. Uh, and it's just been proven to be truth, and any nation or power that ever came against it ends up in 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 naught. Um, let me uh, ask you another question. You're a man who, when you travel to Africa, God has given you great favor. He's given you great favor around the world. Uh, and so, China, China, <laughs> your baby. So, so I know that you're a man that, that hears from God. That's quite obvious. You can hear that. Tell me what our prayers should be about China right now. Oh, my goodness. What an awesome question for this season. Uh, wow. Uh, China is, is quite a unique place. Four or 500 years ago, uh, there were a lot of Christian ministries and missionaries in China. And China has always been a nation on God's heart. 70 years ago, sadly, and this is one of the things that uh, I've noticed about Buddhist nations particularly, it seems to me that the devil is able to successfully place despots as leaders of Buddhist nations because, you know, a, a lot of, uh, uh, well, Buddha was a man. Right. So worshiping this man. And so it's easier, I think, for the devil to set men up as gods in those nations. And right now we have the Chinese Communist Party who have spent billions and billions of dollars on marketing and PR exercises about how wonderful they are, how benevolent they are, how industrious they are. And as a result, particularly with the accession 
into the World Trade Organization in 2001 of China. Um, I think strategically that was a mistake because the World Trade Organization didn't make any demands in terms of reformation. So things like we forgot Tiananmen Square, we, uh, we had this, this veneer was successfully placed around all things Chinese and we forgot that they were communists. And communism is an enemy of the gospel. And it was only when they started uh, knocking down churches a, a couple of years ago that I started saying, I said, what is this? I started praying about it. I really felt in my spirit, China's gonna pay for this. Right. Uh, the, the Communist Party now has been exposed for the lying, cheating, stealing, murdering organization that it is. There are some horror stories that have come out of China out of the last few years of, for instance, people being sentenced to death just so that the Communist Party could harvest their organs uh, to sell them on the medical market within China. Wow. Um, there was one story, and un unverified, I must say, but it's incredibly believable from all the news and the, the horror that has come out through this virus. In fact, I call it the, the, the Chinese Communist Party virus, basically, because they buried it. Evidence is coming out now that they buried how contagious it was right. in the World Health Organization. And sadly, from, from what I read, I need to, to verify this too, but it seems like the head of the World Health Organization, the WHO, um, is an ex-Communist Party leader himself, and he's not even a medical doctor, um, but yet he's the head of the World Health Organization, uh, Gibreus his name is. Um, I need to do some more digging on that chat, but it, it wouldn't surprise me at all, because the information that China gave the World Health Organization, and then the World Health Organization passed on to people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, the, um, the FDA, the, the chap who is basically spearheading America's response uh, to the coronavirus. The, the information they passed on seemed to be really deficient, particularly in the early days. And right. thankfully, when President Trump heard that this virus was actually contagious from his own inside people that's when he put the travel ban on people coming from china and people were calling him racist yeah and yet and yet they won't apologize now for the fact that he was brilliant you know yeah. what i'm not making a political statement here i'm just saying if you're going to go and and announce that someone's a racist on this level you should you should apologize on the same level that you were wrong that he was right he was he actually saw things that the media didn't see and and maybe they didn't have access to the things he had access to but see common sense to me is if you want to be credible mm -hmm. well when you make a mistake own up to it absolutely and, and that's what you call a real man or a real woman, a real leader, whether it's in your own home as a parent or a husband or as a, as a world leader. Absolutely. If you've made a mistake, repent. And repent means change the way you think. Absolutely. That's right. 
absolutely, yeah. So I've, I've, I've seen a good bit of that, and I've seen the, the veneer of the Communist Party coming off. And I, I realized, I had to really repent before God. I said, Lord, you know, there's 1.3 billion people in China, and China's really never been on my heart. It's never been on my prayers, and that's going to change. And right now, I've got some great uh, men and women of God uh, at work connecting me into uh, the Chinese community, China, Hong Kong, Taiwan. I really believe, you see, that this, this is the Chinese Communist Party's Chernobyl. We all know what happened wow. in Communist Russia after Chernobyl. They couldn't bury the lies anymore. They couldn't hold the people in, in anymore to suffer from radiation sickness and death and deformity of children. Right. Now, this to me is the Chinese Communist Party's Chernobyl. What it's, a statement. It's also the Chinese Communist Party's 9-11. What happened in 9-11, Bishop, you, you know as well as I do, when those uh, planes struck virtually out of the sky, suddenly the body of Christ was awakened to the fact that there were uh, 1.5 billion Muslim people who had never properly heard the gospel. So how many ministries started to dub their uh, programs into Arabic, into Urdu, into uh, in the Indonesian language, into Tagalog of the Philippines and all sorts of stuff like that. And these mainly Muslim languages suddenly were being bombarded. Joyce Meyer was talking Arabic. Benny Hinn was on at 1 a.m. speaking Arabic. And I know people from royal households. Wow. Royal households. The king, the blood, uh, father, blood, mother of the royal households of some parts of Arabia who are born again and spirit-filled today as a result of the efforts of people like Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, wow. uh, people like that, who dubbed their stuff into Arabic and just sent it over onto the satellite channels uh, in those places. And um, there's, there's amazing, amazing footage. I, I, was, I had the privilege of ministering to 60 pastors of an underground church that worked extensively across the Arabic-speaking world. And they just said that the success that had come about as a result of the, the body of Christ in the West waking up to wow. the fact this unevangelized people. Now, you imagine what could happen if we did that with China. I hear you. I hear you. I've learned how to say Jesus loves you in Mandarin. Yes, do I need. Now, the only reason that I'm not learning Mandarin now is because I'm still learning Arabic because of our success reaching the Muslim community in London. So the church, would you agree with me? <clears throat> you know, I, I, how many times have we heard that the church was not reaching the millennials right. uh, because of the way we're doing church? The virus, <clears throat> this outbreak has forced us to do church a different way. Right. I'm hearing that churches are reaching more people than they've ever reached before 
because it's forced us to change our strategy and how we reach out. Now, I still love uh, corporate worship in that situation. Mm -hmm. What is God saying to the church about our strategy to reach the world and what he's forced the church to do? Well, it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting question. I do think that God, you know, God's not the orchestrator of this virus. It's no. quite clearly the devil. Uh, I know there was a couple of prophets, particularly in Africa, that years ago. Um, so we, we know the origins. We know the source of the thing. But that doesn't mean that God won't turn it around for good. Right. Um, if you look at what happens, there, there's a message I preach called the blood of Stephen. If you look at what happens to the body of Christ after Stephen was martyred, the Bible says that they, was, that they were scattered abroad, right? <laughs> but then four or five chapters along in the book of Acts, it actually shows you the fruit of what happened when they were scattered. Wow. I was the devil, I would never have killed Stephen. I would have <laughs> Absolutely. Jerusalem just gathering in that place because then you know they're contained, you know they're limited. And the fact that Satan persecuted the church like that, it was like dropping a bag of flour on the floor, the thing's gone everywhere, and suddenly churches are popping up everywhere. Antioch, not Jerusalem, was where we were called Christians. And Antioch came out of that persecution all around Asia Minor, where, where Paul the Apostle, he goes and he finds believers in these pockets of places virtually everywhere he goes. He gathers them together. Right. Suddenly there's a church which becomes a stronghold, which becomes one of the letters from, uh, to, from Paul or Peter or John, etc., etc. And this thing goes around across the whole of Asia Minor. And everywhere there was that persecution, they scattered. So what's happened now, we are so used to going up to our churches, going up into our lovely buildings, going up into our comfortable, pampered surroundings, and all wonderful and happy in our little clubs. And suddenly the clubs are shut. What's our response? Go out, preach it online, get on TikTok, get on Telegram, get on uh, Instagram, get on every gram you can, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, you know, the world has lit up in the last few weeks with the Christian gospel and is absolutely wonderful to see. One thing that my son-in-law and I were talking about is God help us after we've discovered this strategy when the virus leaves that we don't go back to doing church the old way. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to quote Paul Naughton right now. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> Paul Naughton said to me, and I quote it, which of course I'm, I'm talking, you could, you could contradict anything. <coughs> you were talking about the health of nations mm -hmm. and your little sister nation that's right there next to you, France. You said to me, Bishop, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And we really need to pray because 
there it it's going to take a miracle. You said your homeland, England, mm. maybe not quite to that level. You said uh, we're in trouble. There needs to be some great changes. You said, but America is at a place if they really were to follow God, if they were to wake up, yeah, this could be the greatest time. Could you explain what you were talking about when you told me that? Yeah. I, I, was, I was talking about the rise of Islamism within Europe per se. France uh, is just further ahead in the curve. In fact, now there's a nation, Belgium, that is even further on than France. 50% of all Belgian school-age children are from Muslim families. That means that within years, a majority of Belgian voters will be from Muslim backgrounds. Now, Unless, unless you understand the strength of Islam from indoctrination, the strength of Islam from the establishment of Sharia laws and Sharia ways, uh, the banning of things like bacon uh, or pork products, the, ba uh, the banning of allowing women to go out without wearing a, some sort of veil, things like that, freedoms, that we take for granted in the West because, historically speaking, Islam was beaten back uh, from the gates of Vienna and from the gates of Venice. And as a result, we have been largely Islam-free. If you're a woman in Egypt and you go out on the street without a veil, uh, you are quite easily spat on you can be sexually assaulted and if the police if you call the police and they actually show up for such a thing the first question they would ask you is why were you scantily dressed now you know we're not talking sort of miami beach scantily dressed here we're right. talking like you know the way a normal woman would uh, go about her way from a western point of view so there's a massive massive clash of culture that is happening uh, across France, Belgium, to a lesser extent Germany, but it's, it's still brewing. Uh, Sweden is having quite a problem as well. That really, we are probably seven or eight years behind France in the UK in terms of the march and the marshalling of Islamism within our society. That, that brings up some really, really interesting questions and some really uh, deep, deep issues. Uh, one philosopher, uh, I think his name is Holbeck in France, has said that basically by 2027, he believes that France will either be divided in two as a country and there will be a Sharia France and a non-Sharia France or there will be an almighty civil war and may the best man win. Uh, wow. Now that, that to me is 
is quite concerning. But we're, we're already in the UK seeing areas that the police are finding hard, uh, finding difficult to police in the standard fashion. We are finding enclaves where more than 50% of the population is Muslim. And there are areas that, that, that literally the, uh, the doctrine of Islam is seen as standard. So you dial up a pizza, for instance, and you know, you could get a Hawaiian pizza, which is ham and pineapple. I don't know if you have such a thing. Oh, of course we do. Yes. Okay. Ham isn't really ham. And that's, that's a breach of trading standards laws in the UK, but it's a breach of the law that can't be enforced because most of the pizzerias are uh, Muslim owned. So when you order ham, it's actually turkey ham rather than pig ham. Right. No one says anything because, like, I'm sorry, we're not going to have a war over whether it's real ham on your pizza. <laughs> right. Like that. It's like the fact that all primary schools in Britain now, um, or in England anyway, I don't know about Wales or Scotland, but in England, all primary schools, uh, all the meat they serve is halal meat. And people don't understand what that means. Let me explain halal. For something to be halal, which is the Arabic word allowed, for meat to be allowed for consumption, the animal has to be slaughtered without being stunned or without being put unconscious in any way. So usually when we're killing meat, we'll use a bolt gun not be And then while it's unconscious, you, you, you know, garrot it and sort of uh, catch the blood for blood sausage or whatever. Right. In Islam, the animal has to be alive. It has to be conscious. And then you have to lift its head and you have to say, as you're making that blood sacrifice, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Now, that, that to us, we know the power of blood. Yes. That if you're reciting some words over blood as you're shedding the blood of that animal, you are effectively creating a blood sacrifice. Wow. But most people don't know that. So when they say, oh, it's halal food, that they don't understand what's actually happened behind the slaughter of, of that food. And so there, there's really, there, there are really issues like that, that because less than 2%, I think, of the population of the US right now is Muslim. So you guys could easily start to learn, like for instance, me, I've been studying Islam for the last six years. I can recite parts of the Quran in Arabic. I know the Hadith, the Sunnah, the Sirah, the Tafsirs, all that kind of stuff. And I can formulate an argument to effectively uh, create an environment in a Muslim that then causes them to ask me questions about Christianity. And that, that's part of um, particularly Middle Eastern culture. They love debates, they love to talk, they love to listen and all that kind of stuff. And so that, that sort of cut and thrust uh, is something that in the West we can use to our advantage. Well, that's another, that, that is a whole nother uh, podcast I would love to do with you. Uh, 
about that. Let me end this, Paul, by asking you this. Uh, your wife travels to America many, many times a year. Mm. It has a very successful ministry called Hill for Life across America. I'm on her board. Uh, you travel the world. And I know that although I forget what it is you say about America, that we would not, we would not even be here without y'all. Uh, <laughs> we caused you. We caused, yeah, you caused us. Okay. That's perfect. Um, but I know that you have a tremendous heart for, um, for America as you do the world. If I was to ask you to end this podcast by saying something as a, a man who has one of the most uh, balanced, anointed worldviews of anybody I know, what would you say to the believers in America? What would you say to America? Because you know that we're in a place right now where the media is really trying to divide us. Yeah. There's two, there's two camps right now. Yeah. And, uh, and you can feel, you know, the coronavirus has kind of disrupted everything, but you can feel the tension. Yeah. And you know that my ministry, like your ministry, both of our ministries has been mostly a majority minorities all of our life. Yeah. Uh, so you can't play that card with us. Uh, our lives have been standing up for the rights of people. Hmm. Um, what would you say? What, what would be from your heart? What would be a prayer? I, you told us about the prayers we need to have for China, but what are the prayers? What are the words we need to speak over America? What, is, what are the things we should do daily as common sense if we really love our country? Yeah, um, I think... America is blessed right now in this day and age with a transformational government. You see, part of, part of the problem right now with your average kind of Joe in America is you almost need to ask them what media source they are plugged into, where they're getting their information from. Right. About 99% of virtually everything that they will think. Now, Bible says that the wicked, in, in Zephaniah, it says the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. In other words, you can have a good man standing in the center of a room, but if he's surrounded by 15 wicked people telling you what the man in the center of the room has said or done, right? anything that the man in the center of the room says or does will come out perverted. And that's what I'm seeing as an outsider looking in. Right. States of America right now, I see a mainstream media that absolutely hates with a venom 
this current president. Now, people might not, not like his leadership style. They might not like the fact that he spends so long on a sunbed or that his hair always looks perfect. <laughs> but what, what does the Bible say about how to judge? The Bible says a tree is known by its fruit. Right. And the fruit of government is what I look at. Uh, you see, a lot of people thought that Barack Obama was a great president because of the, the way that he was portrayed in the media. Now, well, how do we judge whether he was a great president or not? We look at the fruit of his leadership. Right. How do you know whether Hillary Clinton would have been a better president than President Trump? Look at what she promised. Look at what was going to happen to the US if she became president, as right. opposed to President Trump was saying. Right now, a tree is known by its fruit. It's important that we look at the fruit. And regardless, you see, I remember when President Clinton was in power, a lot of the uh, quote religious right was very kind of anti-Clinton, blah blah blah. But I remember uh, the wise words of actually of my spiritual father, Kenneth Copeland, talking about how to pray for the office. If, if you don't like this current president, pray for the presidential office. Pray for the seal of government. Pray that the Lord will inspire them. You see, that when, when, when Paul the Apostle wrote the 13th chapter of Romans, Caesar was in power. Now, who would have liked Caesar? The guy used to light up Christians uh, for his barbecues. I mean, literally, you know, cover them in wax and set them on fire. And Paul the Apostle was saying, well, I adjure you, firstly, let supplications be made for those who govern all those in authority, leaders, etc. So if Paul the Apostle by the Holy Spirit could say that, how much more us? Right. We pray for those in government, that wisdom will surround them, that understanding will be their close that the nation can come together. You think of how great the United States of America is. I just think those people who are standing on the sidelines and criticizing what's being done right now, they really need to, to, to get a grip, get with the program. Okay, President Trump is your, is your president. Chances are he's gonna get four more years in office. Chances are there might be another Republican, possibly Mike Pence after him. Chances are after him, there might be somebody like Nikki Haley, who is his ambassador uh, at the UN. I mean, she was a very, very impressive individual. But you see, what, what's that? We've got to get with the program. I heard somebody say this once, and I said, because you see, to me, the two most important nations in the world are Israel and the United States of America. Let me explain really briefly why. Israel was founded on a covenant between God and man. Right. America was founded on a covenant between man and God. Wow. That, these two nations, the most important nations on the planet, right? So we've got to pray for America. America stands for a lot more than you and I know, unless we've traveled the world and we've actually seen what's out there as alternatives. Right. We must, must keep America and its leaders in our prayers. Paul, 
is it all it always it is whenever I get with you, I learn things and uh you challenge my way of thinking you you give me um you give me wisdom to to do the things God's called me to do right. and uh, thank you so much for your time today, and we bless you and Joe and uh, Benji and Abby, the Harvest family, uh, and all the people around the world that you touch. Thank you for being such an incredible voice today. And uh, if you'll give us another chance, we'll do better. We'll, uh, we'll come back and, uh, and interview you again. But thank you again so much for your time. And we just speak the blessings of God upon you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. God bless all your viewers, etc. And may the Lord continue to raise you up. Thank you, Paul. God bless you. Bye.